Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us your son Jesus to bring us, us to you, to reconcile us to you. We thank you that you've given us your written word to instruct us and to guide us as we walk with Jesus. Open our ears and our minds, Father, to what you would have the word say to us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the gospel today, after Jesus met the disciples for the second time in the upper room, and Thomas made that beautiful declaration, my Lord and my God, and actually, if he was speaking Hebrew, what he would have said was, my Yahweh and my Elohim. He was saying that Jesus was the God of Genesis 1, the God of Genesis 2, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, God of David. He was recognizing completely the deity of Jesus and that he had to surrender himself to him. Jesus then left them and he sent them off to Galilee and said, I'll meet you there. But we know that God's timing and Jesus' timing is not necessarily our timing. So these disciples, they went off to Galilee on the shores of the Lake, Lake Tiberias, and they were waiting. And they were waiting. Knowing the character of Peter, what kind of mood do you think he was in? Impatience, yes. Jesus, you said you'd be here. Where are you? And his fellow fishermen, of the 12, of the 11 disciples at this point, seven were fishermen. And Peter just got fed up and said, I'm going fishing. And the other six fishermen said, we'll go with you. Nobody ever asked. What about the other four disciples? He told them all to meet him in Galilee. I don't have the answer. I'm thinking that maybe they were the smart ones and stayed ashore and waited for Jesus. But we know that these seven, they took off in the night, as was their fishing custom, went out and fished all night and didn't get one single bite. What kind of mood do you think they were in now? Especially Peter. And then Jesus appeared on the shore. Now to see the picture, I'm Jesus on the shore. You're the fisherman, 100 yards out on Lake Tiberias. The sun is coming up behind you. It's just broken over the mountains and it's striking the water. So of course, 
They could you just heard a voice. They couldn't recognize who Jesus was. If the other four disciples were on the shore with them, they were probably going, they don't know it's Jesus. But Jesus said to them, and in Greek, he asked the question, the question is put as if he expected a negative answer. And he says, children, you didn't catch any fish, did you? And they had a chorus of no. Jesus said, well, whose idea was it to go out and fish when I told you to wait on the shore for me? You relied on yourself, not on me. I've told you before in all my talks to you leading up to the crucifixion, I would provide. But you want still had to doing it on your own. Now, obey me, throw the net over on the other side of the boat. And they brought out John, I don't know if Jesus, while Jesus was having the discussion with Peter, John went over and counted them, but somehow he's the witness that says there was 153 fish in the net. John recognized, they clicked. I mean, if Peter is the impetuous one, John is the thinker of the disciples. And he immediately recognized this miracle and said, Peter, it's the Lord. And impetuous Peter doesn't wait for the boat to get to land. He girds up his, his robe underneath his belt so it doesn't suffocate him as he jumps into the water and dives in and swims to the shore. And what does he see when he gets to the shore? He sees a coal fire. Now, Peter, we're told in the Gospels, either before the two meetings in the upper room or between them, that Jesus and Peter got together and Jesus probably settled it with Peter that, look, I know you denied me, but I told you you were going to deny me. It's forgiven. I paid for that on the crosses along with all the other sins. But the coal fire is a reminder to Peter of that last one. Now, while we're looking at this coal fire and what it means, think about this question that I have for you. When we come up, meet with Jesus, and he asked us, did you catch any fish? Will we also answer in the negative? But anyways, there's this cold fire and it's bringing to mind 
the hostility that was surrounding that last coal fire in the courtyard of, of the courtyard where he denied his Lord three times. But what a change, what a change of atmosphere. This coal fire is not for warming hands. It's got the sweet smell of cooking fish and bread. And it's got Jesus saying, come, eat. Fish and bread. It's another memory jig for them. Back to the miracle of the fish and bread. Because the word for the fish that are sitting on the coals, it's a small tiny fish. What they caught in the lake was big, 120, 153 big fish. Jesus had little fish, like in the miracle of the bread, fish and bread, feeding 5,000. And just like at the Last Supper, Peter took, uh, Jesus took the fish and offered it to his disciples. And he took the bread and offered it to his disciples. Come and eat. Jesus tells us all. He tells the disciples just before he ascended, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks, to go and make disciples of all the world. But before we act like a Peter and jump off and go and do that on our own, he wants us to sit for a while with him and let him feed us and prepare us so that when we take off to make disciples across the world, across the street, in our families, we're doing it with him. He'll feed us if we're not too busy and sit down with him. And let him feed us with his word in answered prayers. As long as, like many today, so in a rush to get out the door, we grab a coffee in a, in a transport cup and we're drinking it as we're driving down the road. Spend some time with him. Now that, that scene in the courtyard where Peter denied the Lord three times, that was a public denial. I don't think Peter probably did it very quietly either. It just doesn't seem like Peter's style to me. When the question was asked, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not. And probably the whole courtyard's going like, who said that? And then the second time, and then the third time. But Jesus, after feeding them, after being the hospitable host, then takes Simon Peter. Let's go over here and talk for a minute. He doesn't do it publicly. How do we know this? Because at the end, 
Peter turns around and, and sees that John has been following them. Well, if Peter and, and Jesus were doing this in the group, if it was a group session, psychology, psychology session together, then John wouldn't have been following them. So Peter and Jesus walked off. Because Jesus will deal with our sins one-on-one -on -one with us. Even when we make a public disaster, he will still deal with us one-on-one. -on -one. As we are told to do in Matthew 18, if someone sins against us, first, approach them quietly. And then if it doesn't work, you go more public. But this is not a session to get Peter on side about his forgiveness. We're going to take another look at what, what happens. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. You notice he doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him the name that he gave him as an apostle, but he calls him the name before he was called. Simon, do you love me more than these others love me? And the word, as I might have mentioned, and several others have probably mentioned to you, that's agape love. John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is asking Simon, Peter, would you lay down your life for me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Affectionate love, not commitment love. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, would you do you love me so much you'd lay down my life, your life for me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I have affection for you. What's going on here? And it's not that Simon Peter loves the Lord any less. But Peter, we know from the gospel writings, is impetuous, yes. But he's also boastful. And words will come out of his mouth, I think, probably before he even thinks of them. Think back to Luke 22. 
where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. John 13, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Then in Matthew 26, when the Last Supper is finished, when they've closed their time together with a hymn and they're leaving for the Mount of Olives, Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me this night. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And here, as Jesus is recommissioning him, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter just cannot put those words out. His boastfulness is broken. He doesn't dare because say what he feels because he doesn't trust himself. I wonder how many of us are in the same boat. If Jesus were to meet one of us outside the tree after the service and say, I don't know, Alan, do you love me so much that you're willing to lay down your life for me and my gospel. What would be my answer? Are we too comfortable in our ways that yes, okay, maybe we haven't accepted the ways of the world, We've kept to the faith, we've kept. And obeyed God's commandments. But maybe except for one. 
to love him to the point that we're willing to lay down our lives for him. You know, we do, we do a lot of complaining about the persecution that we're getting now in Canada with all kinds of different regulations that are being written and passed that seem to infringe on our faith, but why do we expect anything different? Do you think Satan is going to sit back and just take it easy and ignore that we're trying to bring people to know the Lord out of the world into God's kingdom? If we're not willing to give up our lives, what is our reaction going to be? You know, Jesus then asked Peter a third time. But this one's a little different. Simon, son of John, do you have affection for me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you have affection for me? A lot of people will say, Peter's getting aggrieved because he's asked him three times. But when I was reading this, it struck me that maybe what was grieving Peter was the fact that he couldn't respond the way Jesus asked him to respond. And so Jesus lowered it. Peter, do you have affection for me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I have affection for you. But also, Jesus knows everything. He knows the heart. And he knows what Peter's going through. And he knows what is holding Peter back. And if you look at Acts 2, after the Pentecost, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and Peter striding out of that room, of that house, and into the crowds of Jerusalem, and delivering that fantastic sermon. Or Peter, in, an, in the um, section of Acts that Barry read today, where he going, he's going around healing, and people are coming to the Lord because he's healing in the Lord's name. But this is in, in an area where because of these activities, there was persecution of the Christians and Peter still was going and doing it. Because his actions spoke what his heart felt, not what he said. 
And please. If Jesus asks us, whether it's out in the tree there or sometime in the middle of our prayers, do you love me? Are you willing to lay down your life for me and my gospel as you go out to make disciples? Be sure that our heart, no matter what our mouth says, that our heart is saying yes to Jesus. Through all of this, despite Peter's answers, Jesus is using Peter and says, feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. I know what your mouth is saying, Peter, but I know what your heart is saying too. He'll use us. And then in verse 19, after describing what kind of death Peter would go through, He says, follow me. Now this, the Greek word for follow, it's here. In the New Testament, it's reserved for being a disciple of Christ. A following of total commitment and an exclusive relation of the one being followed, not just as a teacher, but as your Messiah. Again, if Jesus says to us, follow him, Are we willing to put everything on the line to follow him? Beginning this gospel story, those seven fishermen, which is where Jesus found them, all fishing when he called them as disciples, While they were waiting for him, they went back to their old habits of fishing for fish when he had said they were going to be fishers of men. That was the last time they did that. From then on, they were fishers of men. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus,
when, we, when you call us to meet you and you ask us, did you catch any fish? Father, help us. Lord Jesus, help us through your Holy Spirit. Guide us. So their answer may be no, but Jesus, we brought many into your kingdom with the net of the, Holy, of, of the gospel. Jesus, when you ask us, do you love me? enough to lay your lives down for you. Though there may be hesitancy in our voices, may our hearts have a resounding yes. And though we may, many of us will not be called upon to make that sacrifice. Those that you do, be willing. And may your Holy Spirit guide us, encourage us, build us up that we can truly follow you. And in your precious name do we pray. Amen.